Hey everybody, we're the Mentormers. Uh, welcome back, or thanks for having us back into your ear holes uh, for your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. Gabe, how you doing, my friend? Shana Tova. Uh, I'm doing very well. Looking forward to building the sukkah in the heads of all of our listeners. Hi everybody, I'm Ralph Ben-Murgi, and welcome to Yehupitzville. We're going to take a little bit of a tour across this Canada that we love so much, this coast-to-coast-to-coast existence. You know, it's one thing to be Jewish in a place like Toronto. It's another thing to be Jewish in very small towns in this country. Shalom. Welcome to Rivkus, a CJN podcast featuring conversations with Jews of color discussing all things Jewish. Like a lot of legacy publications, the Canadian Jewish News has had its ups and downs in the new digital reality, even facing closure at one point. But the pandemic has spurred a digital-first rebirth of the publication that includes a revamped podcast network focused on telling uniquely Jewish-Canadian stories. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we welcome Michael Freeman, executive director of the CJN Podcast Network, and journalist and author Ellen Bessner, the host of the CJN Daily, to talk about the relaunch, its challenges, Challenges and the advantages of being niche media. My name is uh, Michael Freeman. I'm the executive director of the Canadian Jewish News Podcast Network. Guess the, the short answer is I went to journalism school at the University of King's College in Halifax. Um, I did a bit of freelancing after that. I did a whole bunch of paid internships, the kind of like the, the Globe and Mail summer program, the Walrus fact checking. I did other sort of odd jobs in media and then eventually got, uh, uh, I worked at Outpost magazine for a while as a digital editor. And then I was freelancing for the Canadian Jewish News for somewhere in between then. Um, every every few years or every year, actually, actually, I think it was every, once a year, Yoni would ask me if I was available to work for him full time. Yoni being the editor of the Canadian Jewish News. And uh uh, I kept saying no because the timing was never right. And I think the fourth time he, he asked, I said yes. And after that, I about a year after that, once I started working there, I, I started the podcast network, uh, which we'll, uh, I'm sure, talk about a little bit more in depth in a few minutes. Uh, I'm Ellen Besner, and uh, I've been a journalist, even though I didn't know it, since I was 10 years old, when I read Harriet the Spy, which is a book that came out in the 60s about a girl who walked around with her notebook taking a, a notes about all her neighbors and and then the notebook got lost and, and everyone hated her for what she had you know, observed. So I was kind of like that. And uh, I wanted to be a lawyer because everyone in my family was and judges, but I didn't have the marks. Plus, I couldn't keep my mouth shut with great stories. So luckily, I found journalism <laughs> to be able to tell stories, which I've been doing since uh, my first professional gig as a TV reporter in 1981. Anyway, along the way, I've been a, a foreign correspondent, an anchor uh, for CTV News, for CBC News in Canada. I'm an author, and I've been teaching podcasting and reporting and radio and broadcasting for 20 years. And then, of course, when the Canadian Jewish News print edition used to land in our home. It was a weekly paper. Everything stopped. It was like a major event. Everyone would, you know, read it from cover to cover. And that shows you my generation. But uh, after the pandemic, when they went digital fully, the opportunity was presented to me to when they were reopening as a digital only platform to launch and produce and create uh, the CJN 
daily podcast, which would be like a mini daily from the New York Times, except Jewish Canada. And um, I danced around the kitchen and then said yes. <laughs> so I've been here since uh, we've been, we went live May 3rd. I think we should start by talking a little bit more about the history of the publication, because Canadian Jewish News has been around as a broadsheet since the 1970s, but like a lot of legacy publications started to struggle around 2013 as that digital shift really began to take hold. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm the youngest one here by far, so I'm, even though I've worked at the Canadian Jewish News the longest, I'm probably the least qualified to uh, actually talk about it. Um, it was founded in 1960, actually. I do know that. And uh, I have flipped through the archives that were back at the office back when there was an office um, and sort of marveled at how many of the stories, how many of the topics we've been covering have not changed over the many decades. A lot of the same issues turns out uh, uh, come up every few years. But it's been around, yeah, for a long time. Uh, I, I think the, the story of its rebirth is worth starting when it first closed in, I think, 2013, and then was revived mostly due to community support and some philanthropist uh, help. That's when the, uh, a longtime editor, uh, editor-in-chief decided to step down, and they hired on Yoni Goldstein to, to take over. And he tried to deliberately steer it in a younger direction, change up the content. They went through a print redesign around that time. It didn't quite make the full leap into like embracing digital or embracing the future. Like the nuggets were there, but there wasn't quite enough change, particularly with respect to advertising models, funding models, and the fact that there was still a very, very bad, slow, broken website that they were working, working with. So it wasn't quite a fully realized revamp. Anyway, cut to the, uh, the pandemic, it shut down again due to many of the same issues regarding funding, regarding advertisers, revenue had dried up. And so they decided to, to, to shut it down. I and several others felt like this was the wrong I- idea. Uh, Yoni also felt like it was the wrong thing. There, there were a number of us at the CJN who kind of independently, and some people outside the CJN, who believed that Canada needed a Jewish publication and who felt like Closing it wasn't the right move. So uh, several other Canadian Jewish publications popped up, all digital only. There was like three or four of them. I and a few others started to, to try to talk about how we might be able to take it over. Yoni was doing that as well. Eventually, the internal group kind of coalesced. And it took about a year of talking to the board because there was still a, a board of directors there that, that was kind of winding things down over the course of a year. You know, fast forward to, I guess, the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, we uh, were finally able to actually relaunch it in in some kind of capacity it turned into a sort of piecemeal thing we were publishing sometimes first we had the the podcasts come back then we did a an early website sort of a beta website and now we have a more polished website at the cjn.ca so it was sort of a a very swift fall at the beginning of the pandemic and then it turned into a uh, slow rebirth i guess so do you want to talk a bit about what, what the new digital first product looks like and how podcasting fits into that? So the podcast network did start before the COVID shutdown. I hosted one show with another colleague of mine called the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. Two of my friends, like just friend, like friends of mine for years, wanted to do a show about Jews and sports called Menschwormers. So they did. They just did it for fun. I was just doing it because I was working there. It was all very uh, scrappy and non-professional. I mean, it was quasi-professional, but but you know what I mean. There was not that much support 
for the podcast network back then because there wasn't that much, I think, understanding of it among the whole office. I kept asking people in, in sales and publishing side to like try to find advertisers, like ways we could monetize it and never went anywhere. We didn't have like much of an advertising budget for it. So, I mean, you know, we had a few hundred listens per episode, but it wasn't anything spectacular. I think Yoni has always been a big proponent of podcasting and he, he really um, pushed for its existence in the first place. And he really pushed for it to be at the forefront of the relaunch that happened this year. I think one of the reasons is it's, I mean, the numbers are growing globally for, for podcasting. It's just a more popular medium. Audio in particular is just a more popular medium for anything from content consumption and the way we search for things on our phones, et cetera. So the way, the, you know, the, the internet of things, it's, the use of voice is just a, a rising trend. And so that, that includes media. For the rest of the website, basically, there's a, more of an emphasis on uh, newsletters, on a sleeker web presence. We're doing a lot more video now, which Ellen can speak to. And this is kind of a more, I think it's a more flexible package overall. In addition to Ellen, who hosts CJN Daily, your hosts also include former broadcasters like Ralph Ben Berge. How did how did that current slate come together? To start, it was just people who were interested, who started pitching themselves and who had the 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 talent and the credentials to pull something like that off. A couple times I did go out and, and search out people to fill gaps, particularly when it comes to gender, because before the website launched, the, this current website, all of our hosts were men. And obviously Ellen helped to change that. But I also went out and found Laura Lebo and asked her to pitch us a podcast idea. She's a comedian in Toronto. And later we found, we connected with Rivka Campbell, who's a Jew uh, of color who lives in Toronto, who's now doing a podcast about Jews of color, which is very, very uh, good and successful and much needed podcast, I think, in the world. So it sort of is a combination, like Ralph is someone who came, who, who reached out to us, you know, with interest wanting to, to do something together because he has a podcast of his own and he still does a lot of broadcasting and TV work and, um, and others, a mutual sort of connection, finding each other saying, hey, okay, if this person is interested in doing a podcast or is doing a podcast and they're Jewish and they're Canadian, why aren't they on the Canadian Jewish News Podcast Network? Like, let's let's make that happen. So that's kind of the story of how we, we connected with Bonjour Chai as well, which is our weekly current affairs show. One of the things I love about what you're doing, other than the fact that everything is so well produced, is the intersectionality of a lot of the content. For example, on Truth and Reconciliation Day, Ellen, you interviewed a Jewish Indigenous family from Northern Ontario. You mentioned Rivka, who's you know, a Jew of Jamaican descent who talks to other Jews of color on her podcast. Uh, Welcome to Yehupitzville talks about the Jewish experience coast to coast. Was this a natural evolution to tell the stories of those who might be living outside of what's, you know, traditionally been considered a Jewish community or even the traditional Jewish identity? I mean, one of the funny things Michael said, I think it was Michael, is uh, we recently tweeted just to start this answer. It, you know, I was afraid it was going to have an all male network, but then he put like the headshots of all of our um, logos and it was myself, Rivka's and uh, Laura Lebo's, uh, you know, saying no shortage of women here. And that got a lot of traction on social media, but it's not just women. And I'm being older than Michael. I remember, you know, this was my parents and my grandparents newspaper, which was a white Ashkenazi Canadian Jewish community that was run by the Canadian Jewish Congress, which was a, an Ashkenazi, um, born maybe first, second generation born here or Holocaust survivors who were born here. That's what Canada was when this paper began, right? And 
Canada's community, just like the rest of Canada, a non-Jewish community, is not that anymore. But the paper was still kind of that. And I have to say this from just as a reader. So now Canada's Jewish community is a Sephardic Jewish community with French Canadian, Moroccan, French, French roots, I should say, the Moroccan, Algerian, and Tunisian roots. There's a, a much broader acceptance of um, mixed marriages in terms of both sexual orientation and, and also religious orientation and also denominational. So between, you know, we have so many flavors and that really wasn't covered. And I have to give kudos to the previous couple of years of when Yoni was um, at the helm and you would bring these issues to the, you know, to attention. And um, they won awards for it at the Ontario Better Newspapers Association dinners. I was there in my capacity as a professor at Centennial College for my students. And the CJN was cleaning up because they were doing groundbreaking work in things that the community needed to finally hear. And I have to say that I'm really glad you mentioned the uh, Truth and Reconciliation podcast. That's one of our highest listens so far. In one or two days, we hit over 23 or 2,400 listens, which is huge for our audience because our audience doesn't listen every single day. Most of them listen in a binge, uh, three or four together when they're walking or they're driving. But that one really, really resonated with Jewish community because we're coming to terms with you know, our, our historical role and our relationships with the Indigenous community. So just as the community has to make room for diversity in all its shapes and sizes, or it'll die, so has the Canadian Jewish News been trying to push and lead in those corners. Uh, we don't do it all perfectly. Uh, we aren't representing every single corner. I know that, you know, the Sephardic community should have bigger representation than it probably does and the French language uh, as well, the Russian Jewish community, the, that should definitely be more room given, and the Spanish immigrants who have come from South America seeking safe haven. So in a very long-winded answer, I think that it's not always an easy swallow for some of our listeners and some of our consumers, but it's important Jewish journalism that needs to be done. And hopefully through time and patience, uh, we can we can introduce these topics and, and get get this attention to where it needed to be a, a long time ago. I do want to pick up actually on something that, that she said, Ellen's uh, totally right. And th this is not exclusive to the Canadian Jewish News, but one of the um, unintended benefits of the whole COVID pandemic situation and the rise of remote work has been the rise of remote podcasting. Before the, the pandemic happened, we only had two podcasts. One was done by two guys who lived near each other in, in Toronto, which is the Menchformers. And the other one was done by me and Alex, who lived in Toronto. As often as possible, we got guests to come in in person and record. It was always our preference to record in person because of the audio quality is better, because you can have a more maybe authentic conversation. And that is still true, but it made every episode very Toronto-centric, even when the subject was not. And so obviously, since the implosion, we, we, we now have podcasters all across the country, and we can reach people much more easily all across the country. And now... You know, every email that we send that's like trying to arrange a conversation is, you know, has this has the sentence, will you send a Zoom link, right? That's just part of the, the, the common parlance. Um, but it really did open up a door geographically. And I think that speaks to also the other elements of diversity that Ellen just mentioned. So we talked a little bit about audience. Your audience still 
tends to skew older, like most legacy publications. But is your evolving content strategy working to sort of bring more people in? I think it's a little too early to say because we've only relaunched the the website in any capacity in May. And then we relaunched our, our polished true website, which exists now in September. So that was a month ago as of this recording. So it's a little early to say. I, I don't have that much data on the ages of of our listeners or of the CJN. I would suspect that the answer is yes, based purely on the social media reach that we've been getting. Um, we've had quite a, quite a few more um, successful posts on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, not that Facebook exactly is the place where young people hang out, but nonetheless, just I, I see the people who comment and, and there is more of an age diversity. But I mean, that's kind of like anecdotal. I, I hope the answer is yes. In our minds, the answer is yes. And I hope to have that confirmed in a few months. We we previously talked a little bit about some of the challenges of having a legacy audience, you know, including that they're listening to your podcast, but they're listening through the site. They are not the people who will go to Apple Podcasts or some other platform to seek out that content. I would love to talk about that, Michael, if you wouldn't mind, because this it. is something that we are working on. You're so right. I had to show my mom, who is my, except for Yoni, she's the most loyal listener at 6 a.m. If it's not up, she's like, what's wrong? Where is it? And she listens before her exercise class. But she listens on her phone now because I showed her how to use the podcast app. When you show people and seniors or people who are not tech savvy, really, how to do it, then they love it. But you're right. Most people like to listen through the email newsletters and directly from Facebook or the website. They're not subscribing. But that's okay. The idea isn't to cut people off who aren't young enough to figure it out. It's to bring them into the new world. And the other thing is, I don't care how they listen, to tell you the truth. Uh, I just want them to, to find us. And so we're trying to put together a, a video to explain literally, okay, this is how you do it. This is what you press. And when you, you know, that's, the, that's where we're at to introduce older people to the, to the idea of podcasting. But the other thing to bring up, and I'm sure Michael will see this in the statistics, is that people in Canada were locked down for way longer than anybody can imagine. We still are in terms of commuting and people aren't in the offices and we've had COVID restrictions and passports. We can't even cross the border to the United States. So commuting has been decimated. And that's where so many, so many people listen to podcasts before COVID. And during COVID, it was only when you were out walking in your neighborhood. And Canada is kind of still that way. So uh, I think podcasting is is important, but it took a big hit. So people aren't carrying their laptops with them when they when they walk to listen, they're home on their iPads or on their on their phones. And that's where they would be listening. Very few people are back to work full time where they will listen to more of them in the car. And that will come but we're still in that throw, and that's a big issue to challenge to overcome. You're a seasoned journalist, Ellen. Do you think podcasting is the future of storytelling for legacy or niche publications? I'm of the view that you fish where the fish are, but you don't throw out the old school ways. Because, for example, in television, people still are, have appointment viewing of the news, even though they're older. So until everybody dies in that generation, people still love to get a hard copy newspaper, even though they read it on their phones like I do. People still love to sit down and watch live news if there's like a hockey game or, you know, something big that's breaking. The Blue Jays, for example, <laughs> in Toronto playing. So you have to do both. Plus, if you look at the statistics from where our uh, readers come from, it's all mobile Facebook. 
That's where they're getting it. And through the emails, they're not coming to the, the, the website as their bookmark, as their favorites as much as right, Michael. So you got to give it to, on all platforms, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, or I don't know, we'll get to TikTok yet. That's not my audience, but it's some other audiences, but you have to throw it out as many places as you can to find people of all niches and genres, not just, and you know, uh, I don't know if we can talk about it. There are plans to have uh, for our membership circle, which is our, our, our subscription offerings. People will be able to print the newspaper at home on Fridays, which is it's not a daily. It's not a weekly paper anymore. But people like to have a hard copy to read in synagogue or to read during the Sabbath when they're not supposed to use technology. And so, you know, that's kind of old school, but it, if it works, that'll be genius. Yeah, that's sort of an experiment. It, it, it is. It's totally public. I mean, that's part of the advertising that we're using to get people to sign up to the circle. But we're, we're curious to see, you know, if we if we package four or five of the best the week's best stories together in a, a PDF with a nice font uh, that people can print at home, will they print it out? Will they read it? We'll, we'll see. Maybe they will. They say they missed the print edition. Maybe this will satisfy them. Can you talk more about what the plans are for CJN going forward? Well, of course. I mean, there's plans to have events. We're having online events now every month and, you know, uh, speakers, web programs. Eventually, when we're allowed to in Canada, we'll be hopefully be able to do it in person, especially for the podcasters. Uh, Bonjour, hi, wants to have live taping. I am hoping to do live tapings in Florida in the winter where all the Canadian Jews go from the East coast, right? It's our sort of bedroom community, Florida, Boca Raton and whatever. So, you know, we're trying to do that. And also just to do more partnerships. Uh, we had a Canadian election recently, as you know, and we partnered with uh, the Jewish, the main Jewish political action organization to have a debate in which we, we ran it. And we, we were the, the talent and the, the moderators with the candidates. And, and it was a very good experiment. So a lot more of that uh, going forward and, and also partnering to do custom uh, business to business newsletters as well. But as far as the podcasts go, Michael, I mean, you know, we're trying to introduce it to people who still think the CJN closed two years ago. They haven't heard we're back. So we, we have a lot of uh, work to do to tell them, hey, we're alive. And, and that's what we're hoping to do going forward with the magazine as well, which is a beautiful four times a year magazine. And a lot of people would love it, but they just don't know we're back. Is there a thought either of you would like to close on? We have a sort of unique advantage in a strange way at the Canadian Jewish News. Um, and this is something that I've always enjoyed, which is that literally nobody else is doing what we do. No other publication is specifically focusing on Canadian Jewish issues. And no other, <laughs> no other company is making this many podcasts about it. So... That gives us actually a pretty, to, to use a sort of branding term, this gives us a pretty unique value proposition, which is that if you want to hear, for example, a daily 10 to 15 minute news podcast about Canadian Jewish issues, there's literally only one. We don't actually have that much competition. You know, if you want to listen to a podcast about Jews and sports, we've got pretty much the only one. Uh, I, I think that all of our podcasts actually are telling completely unique, unique stories. They're, they're unique platforms for stories, right? We have the only podcast for Jews of color. We have the only podcast that uh, talks about the lives of, of Jews living in small towns. That's very much a conscious thing. Uh, you know, when, when we're creating new shows or developing new shows, which we're kind of slowing down on, we have a nice slate of, of uh, seven or so. We really just try to focus on our niche. And the ceiling may be relatively low if you talk about all the Canadian Jews in the world. <laughs> um, 
I, I mean, there's still 400,000 Canadian Jews, but I don't think all of them are going to listen to the podcast. But it gives us a real great opportunity to dig our heels in, to do the work and to tell great stories that no one else is focusing on. I would like to just add one thing, uh, Connie, and that is that when COVID happened and everybody was locked down, which we still are, synagogues are not open fully, Jewish events are not happening fully, the community lost a place to come together and find comfort and also, as you use the word schmooze, but to be together and to talk about things that are important to Canadian Jews. And everything is it's come to a head in the last few months with a rising anti-Semitism in the world. Uh, the world is a very scary place now for Jews. There's a lot of anti-Israel uh, demonization. There are people that are using swastikas and you know yellow stars you know, to complain that they have to get vaccinated. Uh, I could go on and on. So as well as the Israeli-Palestinian issue has gone onto social media and, and exploded. And it's a very uncomfortable place for many Canadian Jews and Jews around the world to be Jewish right now. And so we hope that our products, the Canadian Jewish News, especially the podcasts, give people a place to come together and hear directly and talk to each other and in the comments and share um, because they can't go to synagogue or they can't go to the, you know, the events and, and hear it in person. And I think it's, it's filling a need that uh, is very strong right, right now. And I'm honored to be part of it. Thank you both so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Alison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.